you have a Bible, go to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Uh, if you do not, ha- do not have a Bible, I would encourage you to use the Version app. And uh, when you're on there, go under events and you'll see uh, Core Church under events. And right there is where you can see all the scripture that I'm going to be reading today. You'll also have a place where you can take notes. And, and there's a, actually a daily uh, devotional that you can use that goes right along with my message from today. Events, all kinds of stuff is right there on, on that app. I read out of the New Living Translation. So if you're, if you're new to our gathering or you're jumping into this series in the middle of it, we're doing this series called The Whale and the Worm. We're in week three and we're talking about living out our God-given calling. So we're looking at this guy named Jonah who lived out his calling, ran from his calling. And, and let me catch up to speed. So I know some of you, this may be, you may be new to church and you're like, I don't even know who Jonah is. I wouldn't know where to find it in the Bible. Jonah lived about 700 years before Jesus. He was a prophet. God told him, I want you to go to the, the people of Nineveh and call them to repentance. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because they were a wicked, evil people. Like if Nineveh was a city in this era, it would be the worst possible city you could ever imagine. They were incredibly wicked. You can go back to the first week of the series where I talked about that. So Jonah runs from his call and and he gets on this boat and heads away from God, heads away from Nineveh. God catches up to him. God sends a storm. We talked about that. So if you're like, what was that all about? We talked about that during the series. God sent a storm. The ship was about to go down. They throw Jonah overboard. Last week we talked about how Jonah was down in the depths of the ocean, but God rescued him with this giant fish. And then after three days, spit him up onto the dry land. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter three. Let's look at this. It says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time, I like this, this time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command. Well, of course he did had not gone well for him, okay? But remember when you were a kid, you disobeyed your parents, it didn't go well for you, and then you listen, right? You're like, I'm, I'm listening this time, I'm listening. So that's Jonah. He obeyed the Lord's command, went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh is gonna be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, They declared a fast and they put on burlap to show their sorrow, which was a custom in that era. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes, put on burlap, sat on a heap of ashes. And then the king and his nobles, they sent this decree throughout the city. So the king is so repentant, he's freaking out. He's just like, I'm going to lose my kingdom. That's what he's thinking here. I'm going to lose it all. Everybody, all y'all going to repent right now, okay? And listen to this. Like, the, the call to repentance is just crazy. No one, not even the animals from your herds, herds, herds or flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People, listen, people and animals alike must wear garments and they, of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. So, like, the llama's got to have ashes on him. I don't care. Everybody's getting ashes, okay? Everybody. We're going to get this out. So they must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell, perhaps even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. Now, this next verse just succinctly encapsulates 
who our God is. I don't know what your perception of God is. I don't know what you've been taught about God. He's angry at you and he cannot wait to punish you, that uh, there's no second chance for you, there's no hope for you, and you better fly right and straight or God's going to get you. But here's a picture of our God. When God saw what they had done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, this is what our God does, he changed his mind. Isn't that amazing to think that God could change his mind about you? change his mind. He doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to give you life. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've run, he really wants you to have a great life. He wants your life to matter. He wants it to have purpose. He wants it to have meaning. So as he changed his mind, he did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Today I want to talk to you about the city. Jonah had a city to reach and we have a city to reach. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for the story of Jonah that gives us clear understanding. But in this moment, I want to ask your Holy Spirit to come. Would your Holy Spirit be present in us, through us, and around us to give us clear understanding and hope for our future in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. You may be seated. Have you ever uh, had something or been doing something that then you suddenly discovered something new about that that you didn't know before? Like, I had no idea it could do that. I had no idea. I didn't know that. All these years, I've been doing this, and it'll do this? I remember when I was first uh, saw this when it came to bacon. Bacon lovers in the house? Anybody bacon lovers in the house? Okay. So I love bacon, and a friend of mine at a men's gathering was in charge of, of making the bacon for the men's event, and what I saw him do was he took the, the bacon and he started laying it out on a cookie sheet. Very confusing to me. So I put it all on the cookie sheet, and then he opened up the oven and he put the bacon into the oven, not on top. But in the oven, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing? It's like, I mean, what do, you, what do you mean, what am I doing? I'm like, you cook bacon on the stovetop. Like, that's what my mom did, my grandma did. That's what we've been doing for thousands of years. Jesus cooked bacon on the stovetop, okay? That's a church joke, by the way, because Jesus was Jewish, and he would not have been eating bacon. Okay, so get y'all up to speed on that one. But I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, Brad, you never had bacon in the oven? And I'm like, no. So he pulls it out, gives it to me, and the, the crispness of this bacon was like nothing. It was like taste the rainbow. It was on another level. How many of you had bacon in the oven, okay? Why have you not told me about this? I mean, Wow. Last year, I went to Aunt Mary's in Missouri. Some of you know, she's legendary in our church, Aunt Mary. That's Laura's aunt, and she is a, an insanely amazing cook. I love everything that she cooks. And so we stayed the night with her, and I got up the next morning, and I was wandering into the kitchen, and she said, Brad, would you like me to make you breakfast? I was like, well, let me think about it for a moment. Yeah. And so, I mean, it was, I'm just going to think about that. So she's... she's uh, She's like, would you like some cinnamon toast? And I'm like, sure, yeah. And so she takes the toast, 
and she puts it in a skillet on the stovetop. I was like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? Why, you're supposed to be using a toaster. And she's like, no, I, she's like, I, I, we grew up, we didn't have a toaster, we couldn't afford a toaster, so we did it on the stovetop. She goes, you've never had it like this? And I was like, no. She goes, oh, just get ready, just get ready. <laughs> and she handed me that piece of toast, and I didn't know this, the crystal, uh, the, the sugar crystallizes, and, and I took a bite, and it was like heaven exploded in my mouth. It was... Some of y'all are going to go home and do that today. That's your takeaway from the sermon today. What's the recipe for that? I, that's my takeaway. The spirit is in it. So it was just crazy. I, I remember the first time that I saw somebody grind coffee beans. I was like, what are you doing? It's like, what, you, what am I doing? What is that? Oh, I'm, I'm grinding. I, I don't think I'd ever seen a coffee bean. I was always Folgers. That's what you have, Folgers. And if you're rich and you're feeling really good, you go Maxwell House, you know? That's the way you roll back in the day, and I didn't know about a grinder and, and the smell and the freshness and how amazing a pot of coffee could be like that. Just this week, Eric, our, our youth pastor and worship leader, he was right here at center stage singing today and did a great job, right? Yeah, amazing, amazing gifted worship leader. And so he was showing me on the iPhone that if you're sending a message to someone, you hold down the space bar and it becomes a mouse. That you can navigate, yeah, a mouse. Some of y'all are like, I didn't know, I didn't know that. I've been texting anybody and everybody I can think about this week just because I'm like, woo, spell correction at a whole new level. Super excited about it. Now, if you have an Android phone, well, you can't do anything with an Android. So you're, you're just stuck with that technology. <laughs> now, the, hey, throughout this series, though, we have been learning that there is more to this Christian life. You know what I think? Sadly, Christianity has really been reduced to get saved, be nice, and just try not to cuss so much. I mean, that's uh, pretty much what it's been reduced to. And some of y'all did some of that last part on the way to church today with your kids. I know who you are, and that's how we roll. I mean, but that's what it's kind of been reduced to. Is, is there anything more to the Christian life other than that? And I would say, yes, there is so much more. In fact, you weren't just saved from something, you were saved for something. I'd like for you to write this down. You can take notes in U version or use the notes in your chair back, but I want you to write this down. I am saved to be sent. I am saved to be sent. Throughout this series, we've been talking about how we are all called and we all have a calling. We are all called and we all have a calling. Tell three people around you, you are called. You are called and you are called and you are called and you are called. We all are called and we all have a calling. We talked about this idea of being created on purpose for a purpose. And if this is your first time into this series, I'm going to give you something that I, I believe is just the, the, the most important thing I've been saying in this series. I think this is going to be a takeaway that could absolutely, absolutely transform how you live your life. You have a primary purpose and you have a personal purpose. You have a primary purpose and you have a personal purpose. If you're a follower of Jesus, all of us have the same primary purpose, and that is to take the hope, healing, peace, and purpose of Jesus into this world. 
All of us. No one's exempt from that. That's, if you wonder, what am I supposed to be doing in this world? That's it. Taking the hope and the healing, the peace and the purpose of Jesus into our world. But you also have a personal purpose. And our personal purpose means God has something unique for you, okay? Something unique, a place, a group of people, a, a, a certain a thing that he wants you to do that's unique to you to use in the kingdom of God. And the way I've been describing that, your personal purpose basically consists of two things, your career and a cause, your career and your cause, your, your career. There's something God wants you to put your hand to the plow on. Something he wants you to do that when you go to work, you're doing it for the glory of God. You're doing it to make this world a better place. You're not just whatever. You're actually there on purpose. God has you there to make the world a better place. But I also believe that you have a cause. I believe there's something, there's an injustice in this world. There's a wrong that needs to be made right. There is, there is uh, the, the poor, the downtrodden, the broken that God calls us to. And, and so your, your, your career is something that pays you back in this life, the cause that you have pays you back in the life to come. And sometimes those two things actually collide and come together into one. I believe so many people are not living in the fullness of their salvation. They've been saved, and they just kind of exist in that. And it's a beautiful thing. There's no greater thing that will ever happen in your life than to have your life transformed by the power of God and your sins forgiven and be given a new life. If you believe that, say amen. amen. But I believe also God wants you to live in the fullness of your salvation, that he wants you to live fully alive. And I want to talk about that for a few minutes. Because Jonah, Jonah had, uh, was not just saved from a whale. Was he saved from a whale? Yes, but he wasn't just saved from a whale. He was saved for a purpose. He was saved for a city, for a people, the people of Nineveh. Let's look back at Jonah chapter 3. Go to verse 1. It says this, then the Lord spoke to Jonah, say this with me, a second time. This is key. A what? A second time. One more time. A second time. This is so key here. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So get the picture here. Jonah has rebelled against God. He's run from God. And now God has caught up to him. And God's got options. God could, God could do this. He could drown Jonah. Been thrown overboard. He's in the ocean. God could just say, and you're getting what you deserve, Jonah. He could have drowned him. He could have di digested him. He could have said, no, I'm not going to put you in the well for three days. I'm going to put you in there for uh, three weeks. And now let's see how you deal with that after you rebelled against me. But that's not what, the, that's not what happened. It says that God gave Jonah a, a second chance. He, he chose to save Jonah. And what's fascinating to me is God didn't change the call. If you look at chapter 3, you look back at chapter 1, it's the exact same call. Go to the great city of Nineveh. God, God could have changed the call. Okay, you weren't obedient to me. You disobeyed me. You rebelled against me. You just messed up. I'm not going to give you a great call. I'm just going to give you an okay call. I think that's where a lot of us exist as followers of Jesus. And I've rebelled against God. I've run from God. I've disappointed God. I've gone my own way. And I just feel like there's no opportunity for me. 
is God, God, God can't use me. I mean, God, God can save me. I get that, Brad. I mean, I, I believe that God can save me, but he can't really use me. But that's not what happened here for Jonah. When you look in, back here at verse 1, the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. We serve a God of second chances. If you believe that, say amen. amen. We serve a God of second chances. Yeah, that's a good place to give him some praise. If God's giving you, let's do that. If God's giving you a second chance, give him some praise for that right now. I give him some praise. If he has given you a second chance, come on. Man. I was just with all of the new, we did a newcomer's coffee for anybody that's new. Laura and I host a coffee once a month, and we just, I just met with a, about a half a dozen people over there, and I was talking to them about the second chance God gave me. Man, being 18 years old and I'm train wrecked my life, God gave me a second chance. I would have never dreamed in that moment as deep and as far as I had fallen from God and what I had done in my life that I was so ashamed of that I wouldn't tell anybody about it for almost 20 years. Like, it was kind of public, but not public. It was very public if you could do the math. Let's see, they got married six months later, had a baby. Okay, I do the math on that, okay? Was he premature? No! And in that moment, I thought, man, could God, Laura and I were just there at 71st and Lewis. I remember that's where we first lived. We were going to Old Roberts University. I didn't know what I was doing. I was 18 years old, baby on the way, unloading trucks at Dillard's department store at the old Southwoods Plaza. Anybody? Anybody? Just this past week, Laura and I were on our date, and we were driving right by that area, and I'm like, wow. You ever drive by an area in town, and just memories flood back on you? Some not so good, some good. I was like, how in the world did we make it? Like, how did we, like, we were 18 years old. Nobody, did. we were just kind of trying to, be. the grace of God and the God of second chances. The God of second chances. I'm telling you, if God can lift me out of the pit he lifted me out of and allow me to walk so humbly in proclaiming the gospel, I'm just telling you, I don't, I don't get it. I'm just like, me? So I understand Jonah. I understand Jonah in this moment. Like, but this is the story of Scripture, by the way. This is the story. I don't know what your perception of the Bible is, and if you've never read the Bible or you very rarely look at the Bible, I bet your perception is, is this. It is the Holy Bible. In fact, when I open it, and it just glows when you open it because all of the people in here are so holy. You have not read this. The only one that's holy in here is God. Everybody else in here jacked up, messed up, made a lot of mistakes, rebelled against God, run from God. It's like, it's like Jonah part two, part three, part four, part five. It's like just, a, just bring on the whole series, okay? Because they're all just messed up. I mean, from beginning to end, what you see in here is you see that God is using people after their rebellion and their running. God gives people a second chance. Amen. Go to the book of Genesis right there in the very beginning. God calls Abraham and, and Sarah and says, I'm going to birth a nation out of you, which would be the nation of Israel. I'm going to do that. One problem, Sarah couldn't get pregnant. So Abraham and Sarah, not happening. Sarah comes up with this ingenious plan. All right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to sleep with my maid. And Abraham's like, well, if you insist. You know, I'm saying, <laughs> that is a messed up plan. That is just, I mean, just, just rationally, you're all going, he really did that? It's in there. 
They didn't leave that part out of the story. That's the dumbest plan ever. Completely train wrecked their lives, messed it up. We're still paying for that today, for that, that, what, that, what they did and just the ramifications and struggle from that. But God came to Abraham a second time. He said, I am going to birth a nation through you, but you've got to do this my way. And then Sarah got pregnant, and she gave birth to the promise, Isaac, and a nation was birthed out of that, the God of second chances. You look at Moses, one of the most popular figures in all of Scripture. Moses, if you don't know his story, he's the one who led the children of Israel out of slavery. But before he did that... He was a Hebrew, and he was raised in the house of Pharaoh where the Hebrew people were enslaved. And one day, uh, Moses, he saw that one of the Egyptians was abusing one of the Hebrews, one of his own people. And so he took it upon himself, and he went and he attacked the Egyptian and killed the guy and then buried the body. How creepy is that? Murdered the guy, buried the body. Then he takes off because everybody starts hearing about it, rumblings about it. Moses takes off to the other side of the wilderness. He's like, I'm going as far away as I can get. God chases him down on the far side of the wilderness, comes to him and says, I haven't forgotten you, and I have a call on your life. I want you to go and lead my people out of slavery. And Moses is like, me? And God's like, yes, you. Fast forward into the New Testament, and you see that Jesus comes to this guy named Peter, and he chooses Peter, and Peter's in this boat, and he's like, dude, you got the wrong guy, I'm a fisherman, I'm jacked up, messed up, I'm a sinner, I'm too, you're too holy to be around me, and Jesus is like, no, I want to use you, and they start walking together for three years, they become best friends, and Jesus is just pouring vision into him, and pouring teaching into him, because he's going to use Peter to, to revolutionize the entire world, and then Jesus gets arrested. Many of you know the story, Peter, he panics. Because he sees that they're going to kill Jesus, so they're going to kill me. And he does what any rational human being would do. He runs. He's like, I don't know. I don't know who he is. And people are like, you know him. You're with him. No, I'm not with him. I don't know. And he takes off and he runs. And he realizes in that moment, I have sinned against God. Jesus goes to the grave, resurrected on the third day. Peter's hiding out. Like, I can't face Jesus. And Jesus said, where's Peter? Where's Peter? He calls Peter, and Peter comes to him, and he says, Peter, I'm going to start the church through you. Peter's like, wait, wait, I'm the guy that didn't. No, I'm going to start the church through you. And God does this incredible miracle and restores Peter and uses him to start what we now know as church today because of a guy named Peter, a broken man. This is the story of Scripture. The Bible is the story of, re- of God redeeming broken people to heal a broken world. Jonah, a broken man, but redeemed to help heal a broken city. Look with me at verse 3. It says this, the time, somebody say, it's about time. It's about time. Jonah obeyed the Lord's command, went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. This city was huge. It was the largest city in the known world at this time. So can you imagine Jonah, one guy, walking around a city like that thinking, what difference am I going to be able to make in this city? Like, all right, I'll just, hey, repent. Hey, repent. I'm telling you, that's how Jonah did it. He wasn't convinced and confident, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to move, and the entire city is going to be one to the Lord because of me. No, he's just like, I was told to do it. All right, repent, repent, repent. He's like, 
Too many people here. What difference, what difference can I make? I remember earlier this year when we, Laura and I were in Ethiopia and we were training pastors and leaders there. And we're going back, by the way, in January to train more pastors and leaders. I'm super stoked about doing that. But when we were there and we were, I was sitting in a room with about 200 pastors and leaders and was training them. And I was talking to them about how devastating and overwhelming the needs are there in that capital city. What you may or may not know, I'm told the story, so some of you are aware of how bad it is there, but there's 800,000 children that are living on the streets there. Trash is everywhere. There's no real trash pickup. Trash just lays all over the streets. Nobody is able to, to find work. There's no infrastructure. There's no, there's no job placement. There's, there's really no hope. The lights and the electricity go on and off for no apparent reason. It's just devastating. And I remember standing in front of these pastors and leaders, and I was talking to them about that, and I was like, it's overwhelming, isn't it? And they all just looked at me like, yeah. I said, do you ever feel like you're like a pebble that's getting tossed into the ocean like what difference is that gonna make and they all looked at me like yeah so the interesting thing though when you take a pebble and you throw it into water there's a ripple and that's what you're living for you're living for the ripple effect you're living for that ripple because you could toss that one tiny pebble and it could touch a life that would touch a family, that would transform a community, that could change an entire city. And I said, imagine if all of us in this room, 180, I don't know how many it was, almost 200 liters, imagine if all of us took our one tiny insignificant pebble and we all threw it into the city at the same time. Imagine the impact we could have in this city. And I would tell you this, that listen, missions isn't reserved just halfway around the world. We are called to be missionaries in our own world. You and I are called, and I know when I say live called and live send and go out and make a difference, you're like, what difference is my one tiny pebble gonna make in this city? Like, there's over a million people in the Tulsa metro area. I mean, honestly, be honest. What difference is that going to make? And I would tell you this, live for the ripple. Take a chance. Toss that insignificant pebble. I'll be used by you, God, and watch the ripple effect that God does through it. Imagine this. Imagine if all of us, all of us in this room, imagine if all of us decided we were going to live sent, that we were, going to, we were going to own the call, we were going to live called. Imagine if all of us took our insignificant pe pebbles and all of us collectively at the same time threw those pebbles and went out into our city. Imagine the impact that we could have if we live sent lives. This is what God wants to do. This is what he wants to do through you. This is what he wants to do through me. So missions is not just something that's reserved for people halfway around the world. In fact, the dictionary defines missionary this way. It says this about being a missionary. A missionary is this, someone sent on a mission. Someone sent on a mission. Turn to the person next to you and say, he's talking about you. He's, he's talking about you. If you're taking notes, write this down. We are all missionaries, and we all have a mission field. We are all missionaries. And we all have a mission field. 
You're going to get up tomorrow morning, and you're going to go out into the workforce and the place where God has you. Guess what? That's not just a workplace. It's a mission field. Some of you are going to get up tomorrow, and you're going to go to your campus. Your campus isn't just a place to get an education. It is a mission field. All of us are going to leave here today, and we are going to go out into our neighborhoods. Your neighborhood is a mission field. Some of you play on ball teams, or you have kids that play on ball, ball teams. That ball field is a mission field. Field. You're not just an employee that steps up, clocks in, and takes home a paycheck. You are a missionary sent by God into that workplace to transform that workplace. Like you're not just a student getting an education. You are sent by God as a missionary onto that campus, in that classroom with the teacher or the professor that you're like, I can't stand this person. How did I get this one? God put you there next to those people because that's where he needs you. God has you in a neighborhood, not just so you can raise your cute kids and have a nice 401k and live out a happy life. No, he has got you in that neighborhood because he's got you there as a missionary because it's a mission field. You're not just on that ball team or your kids on the soccer team just so, man, one day they're going to get a scholarship and they're going to play in the MLS one day. That's a pipe dream, okay? You know what a better dream is? God has my kid on this field. I'm on this field because I'm a missionary and somebody needs me here. This is what I love about this church. This is what I love about being the pastor of this church is so many of you live sent lives. You live called. You embrace the call. I just think about all the different people. Kelly Sondag. Kelly Sondag went on a mission trip about five years ago, and she went to Zambia, and God stirred her heart, and then she started sponsoring a child down in Guatemala, and then she found out about Laura's brother that is a missionary down in Guatemala, and she's like, hey, I want to go to Guatemala. So this summer, she went on a mission trip to Guatemala, met her sponsored child, did mission work down there, got fired up, came back, and she's like, Brad, I want to do a mission trip to Guatemala. And I'm like, that's awesome. And she's like, I'm going to own it. I'm going to put it together. I'm going to make it happen. Kelly's doing a mission trip all on her own. Next summer, she's taking a team of people to Guatemala on a mission trip. You want to go on that mission trip? Fill out a next step card, write Guatemala on it. We'll get you in contact with Kelly. I think of Carla Coates sitting right over there. Wave Carla so they can see who you are. Carla Coates. Man. The organization that she has right now where she is helping people who are coming out of incarceration and who are coming out of addiction and she's helping them to, to get their feet back underneath them, like to help them just, hard, one of the hardest things is to find a job again. If you've been in addiction, you, how do I get a job? It's, what do I do? And I don't have the clothes. Many times I don't even have the car to get to the interview or go to work. And so she's collecting clothes and she's collecting cars. And, and I, this is the crazy thing about it. You and I, we, if you want to donate to that, man, just, just what's the organization? I always get it wrong. Love helps, loving help, lovinghelpsfund.org. Yeah, lovinghelpsfund.org, lovinghelpsfund.org. You can make a donation. I would encourage, listen, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to go home, find your best shirt and donate it. Oh, now I'm preaching, aren't I? <laughs> Let that sink in for just a moment. How embarrassing is that when we won't even give up a shirt? Have we really become that self-consumed? Like, this is one of my favorite shirts, and you're going to get it. Not right now, later. <laughs> 
I like this shirt. I look good in this shirt. <laughs> it's hard. Like, and I'm like, am I that self-consumed that I can't even give up a stupid shirt? That's what's crazy, what, what is, what's happened to us. I think of Todd and Jody Guy, and they're back there waving. A lot of you know Todd and Jody and the work that they're doing in Ethiopia, helping to wave so everybody can see you. Wave, wave. You don't know them. Started a boys' home in Ethiopia. It's one of the reasons why we're over there and, and uh, rescuing boys off the street, feeding them, clothing them, giving them an education, teaching them about Jesus, giving them a safe place to live. Maybe you want to get involved with them. I am not forgotten.org. I am not forgotten.org. Or grab an accept card and write, I am not forgotten on it. We'd love to help you get involved with them. I think of uh, KP. Is KP, I saw KP earlier. Is KP in? Is, oh, KP, all the way in the back. KP, right, wave at him. Thanks. See you, KP. Come on, wave. Hey, that's KP. So I, I think KP, who's, check this out, lifting weights for Jesus. How awesome is that? Honestly, that was my calling. And, um, you know, but I was like, I'll, I'll give that up. I'll take the sacrifice, KP. You go and do it, and I'll live with this body instead. So, <laughs> but KP, he didn't just lift weights and go to competitions, but his whole mindset is, how can I bring glory to God in these competitions that can help me spread the love of Christ to those around me. He's living a sent life. Brandon Ashworth, I want Brandon to come up because I want him to share for just a moment about what he's doing. Yeah, give him a hand as he comes. Brandon's got an organization called Taking It to the Streets, and how long you been doing it now? Three years in October. That's crazy. Three years. Tell everybody like how this crazy things started. This is what you do. Tell them what you do and how it got started. I don't think I articulated it very well in the first service, but I was a junkie, for lack of a better term, for the better part of a decade. I was in jails and rehabs. I was on the street, MIA. A lot of times my parents didn't know where I was, and so when I turned 29, that was the first birthday in my adult life that I had, like, with my family in my right mind, and they're like, what do you want for your birthday? And I just felt so blessed to be with my family under good circumstances that I wanted to take the attention and give it to people who weren't getting any attention. So we went to Dollar Tree with, like, spare change, and we made six little drawstring backpacks with food, hygiene, socks, and underwear. And we went downtown, and we just found the most desolate, downtrodden-looking people that we could find. Mm -hmm. Just kind of surprised them, like, here. Like, you're not forgotten. We see you. Like, I personally know your plight. I care. You know, we love you. We're praying for you. And I was in vet court at the time, um, so I went back to my counseling group and kind of recruited guys from there, and they were thrown in spare change, and we would just go out whenever we could, but over time, it got organized, and we got sponsors like Catholic Charities and Domino's and a food pantry out in Cleveland, and so we've gone out 65 times. We've almost distributed 3,000 bags and like a little over 1,400 pizzas to people. <laughs> So what I love about all of these stories and, and Brandon's story is like they, they, there was no, there wasn't like, hey, so I got trained and then I got equipped and then I, and then I felt, you know, and I went into a ministry training and then I, and then I stepped out and I did it. No, it was just kind of, you had some change and decided I'm going to put some stuff together from the Dollar Tree. What I love about that is that's the pebble. That's the pebble. And he's like, I'm just going to toss this pebble and see what God does with it. Three years later, a full-fledged ministry reaching out, living out his personal purpose. Can we just give him some encouragement? Thank you, Brandon, so much. Man. So powerful. So powerful. 
Like, that's just a few of the people in our church that decided I'm going to live sent. I, I, am, I, I believe that I'm called and I'm going to live out my calling, that they, they're taking their pebble and tossing it out there to see what God will do with it. You know, one of the hardest things about calling and struggling for, for people is that somehow we got this opinion that it's optional. Um, write this down. Callings aren't optional. Callings aren't optional. They're not, they're not optional, but we like to make them optional. Like, we'll, we'll do one of two things. We'll either deny the calling or we'll delay the calling. We'll deny it. We'll just be like, well, you know, God, you know, it's like, it's like there's a weird thing. We think, we think it's optional, like this idea that God somehow comes with like a brochure, you know, like, all right, so here's Nineveh, and he's pulling it out, and it's three-paneled, and I got a little one-minute video I'd like to show you. What do you think? That's not, it's not optional, okay? It's not God doesn't come with this proposal. He comes with a calling, and he asks for our obedience, but what happens is we will either deny it or we will delay it. We'll, we'll deny it. Well, you know, that's just, that's really not me. That's, that's not my thing, Okay, that's just not, that's not my vibe. Those aren't my people, you know, and so we deny the calling. If we don't deny the calling, we delay the calling. This is what most followers of Jesus do. They delay it. You know, I, I do that. I'd love to help these organizations and stuff. That'd be great. Now's not a really good time for me. You know, kids are going back to school. I'm going back to school. Really busy season for me. As soon as things slow down a bit, biggest lie of the devil you know, you know where that thinking comes from? It comes from your heart, and it comes from the pit of hell. Well, when things slow down and I'm not as busy, God, is, God doesn't work that way. Think about it. God's not like, hey, you know, I'll wait on you. That's cool. You just take your time, get things organized, get things in place. As soon as your schedule frees up, you just get back to me. That'd be awesome. That's not how God works. God comes to you in the busiest, most inconvenient time of your life when the one time that you think, I don't have time, I don't have margin, I don't have space, I don't have resources, I'm not trained. Here, go out and help people. That's what God does, and he requires obedience of us. It's not, a, listen, it's not optional. James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, if you won't listen to Jesus, maybe we'll listen to James, the brother of Jesus, pretty close to Jesus. And, and he wasn't a super popular guy, by the way. He was one of the apostles, but most people like to keep their distance from him because he's kind of harsh. He's kind of blunt. He was that friend you had that's rude. You know what I'm talking about? The one who's just rude and goes, really? That's what you're wearing? Man, that looks weird. You know, that, that's, that was James. So here's what James says about options. James 4.17, he says this, it is what? It is It is sin. So, so, so exactly what do you mean by that, James? Well, it is sin. It is sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. So what are you, what are you trying to get said there, James? What are you, this guy's not getting a lot of YouTube hits, okay? He's not super popular. By the way, I looked up the word sin in other translations, and every single translation, every one of them says sin. Sin. Living a sent life means that I lay down my life, my way, my desires, and I am obedient to a fault to what Jesus has asked me to do regardless of where it is, when it is, or how he asked me to do it. What I like about Jonah is he got up. He just got up. He went into the city. He was obedient. 
I'm going to be obedient to the call. And he goes into the city, and he tells them to repent, and the people repent. A city is changed because of Jonah's obedience. Look what it says in in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 3. It says, on the day. Somebody say, today is the day. Today is the day. Jonah entered the city. He shouted to the crowds. Jonah didn't wait. He didn't hesitate. He didn't wait for a convenient time. He, di- he, didn't, he just took action. Today is the day for action. The number one reason why people do not live in their calling is because they hesitate. And they don't take advantage and take action today. Here's the thing. God is going to call you. He's going to place a calling on you, but it requires action on your part. You have to activate your calling. It takes action. Nothing will happen sitting in these seats. You can listen to a great sermon. You can hear the scriptures. You can be moved emotionally by it. You can go, oh man, I'm, I'm ready. I'm a... But until you step out, God is not going to take that step for you. What he's going to do is he's going to place a calling on you, and then he's going to say, I want you to activate that calling. And what it means is, is you have to do it immediately without hesitation. Immediately. Act upon it. What does that mean? This means I just got to step in. I got I to start figuring out what this is. I got to say yes to that call. 